glad we can gather around the Word again here this afternoon. <clears throat> and I have Job chapter 14 and 15 opened here. We'll read from Job chapter 14. These are the words of Job. Must have been difficult for Job as he sat here with his friends. And they were kind of eyeing him with a critical eye. Kind of looking him up and down and casting judgment in their own mind that surely this man has sinned and this is why this, these terrible calamities have fallen upon Job. There sat Job trying to have to give an answer and after all this great loss, this great pain, this, these great struggles that he had, now here he is and he's having to try to give answer for himself and that's a miserable thing to have to do. But out of that comes this, this uh, discourse, this discussion, this dialogue that he has here. A lot of beautiful truths come out through it. So let's read here from Job chapter 14, verse 1. It says, Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. And doth thou open thine eyes upon such an one? And bring us me into judgment with thee? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Seeing his days are determined, the number of his months are with thee. Thou hast appointed his bounds that he cannot pass. Turn from him that he may rest, till he shall accomplish as an hireling his day. For there is hope of a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die in the ground, yet through the scent of water it will bud, and bring forth bows like a plant. But man dieth and wasteth away, yea, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? As the waters fail from the sea, and the flood decayeth and drieth up, so man lieth down and riseth not, till the heavens be no more, they shall not awake, nor be raised out of their sleep." Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave, that thou wouldest keep me secret until thy wrath be past, that thou wouldest appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Thou shalt call, and I will answer thee. Thou wilt have a desire to the work of thine hands. For now thou numberest my steps. Dost thou not watch over my sin? My transgression is sealed up in a bag. And thou sowest up mine iniquity. And surely the mountains falling cometh to naught, and the rock is removed out of his place. The waters wear the stones, thou washest away the things which grow out of the dust of the earth, and thou destroyest the hope of man. Thou prevailest forever against him, and he passeth thou, and he passeth. Thou changest his countenance, and sendeth him away. His sons come to honor, and he knoweth it not, and they are brought low, but he perceiveth it not of them. But his flesh upon him shall have pain, and his soul within him shall mourn. 
Seeing number 220. <laughs> Let's pray together. 
Dear Heavenly Father, we come before Thee here, thankful, Father, that we can bow before Thee. Thankful, Father, that we have this opportunity to gather around Thy Word. And as we heard this morning, Father, that we would trust and pray and plead that we would be instructed by Thee, and that it would be a word for us here in this day and time. Father, that we could be drawn nearer unto Thee, that our love for Thee, Father, would grow more complete, more sure. Father, that our understanding of Thee would become greater, that we might know Thee more and more, Father. Surely, Father, Thou dost want to be known. And yet, Father, Thy Word tells us that Thou dost hide in the darkness, dost make Thy pavilions in the deep darkness, and sometimes there's no way to know Thee better unless we go through those dark times, even as Job went through. And Father, if we're unwilling to go through those times, then our knowledge of Thee will be very limited. And so it proves out, Father, whether or not we really want Thee above all else. As we examine our lives, Father, you know our hearts. We can deceive ourselves, but we cannot deceive thee, Father. As thou dost look here upon this room, Lord, thou seest each of our hearts, Lord, that are towards thee and that are willing and ready and wanting to press into thy presence deeper and deeper. But Lord, thou dost also see if there would be any heart that would be hypocritical, any heart that would not really be towards Thee. Father, we don't see that. As men, we just don't see that. Sometimes we see fruit of that. But Father, we, we want to look at ourselves and at our own hearts. We want to be right before Thee, Father. We pray that Thy Word would wash our hearts, Father, here this afternoon that thy word would wash over us, would wash over our minds, would wash over our thoughts, would wash over our hearts, that it would cleanse us, that it would take away any impurity, that it would wash over us, and as those stones that we read about here are smoothed, Father, that thy word would wash over our hearts and smooth our hearts and take away the roughness, take away the abrasiveness that would come from our, our failings. We pray that thy word, Father, would flow through us, that it might be living waters within us, and that it would swell up to a, a place, Father, that it would flow out from us, that thy truth and that the gospel message would go from us, even as we heard this morning, and that, Father, that that message would be able to go out, and that it would touch the hearts of those that we come in contact with, Father, and that it would begin to have its work of tearing down, rooting up, destroying, building, and planting. That this word of life, Father, would be able to go forth in all of its power. That we wouldn't stand in the way of that, but that we would just be willing vessels. We don't want to speak, Lord, unless you want us to speak. We don't want to 
withhold or refrain from speaking if you are moving us. So we need wisdom, Father, and how we ought to be in all of that. So as we look ahead, Lord, going out from this place here today, we pray that as thou hast led us up to this point, that thou would continue to lead us onward. Lord, our hearts, I think generally, can't speak for everyone here, Lord, but our hearts are really looking forward to what thou dost have for us here in the future. We have seen thy hand working, and we believe that thou art working, and that thou will continue to work. Prepare us, O God, that we may be useful for thee, and that many more souls could be brought in yet, Lord, while there's time. The time is running short. We might not have much more time, Father, and so put an urgency upon our hearts. We can't do it ourselves. We can't maintain that level of urgency that we need, Lord. So please, please place it there so that we would be diligent, so that we keep calling out to one another, that we keep pressing each other on, that we keep, keep moving forward that we wouldn't grow complacent, that we wouldn't grow stagnant, that we wouldn't be snared by the things of this world. Because there is a snare, and it's getting many. So we just pray, Lord, that we might be counted worthy to escape all these things that are coming upon the face of the earth, and that we might be able to stand before thee, O God, and that we might be clean and pure. Father, we thank thee for this word. As we open the word here now, it would be our prayer and plead, and it's our trust. It's, it's our belief that you want to be in our midst here, that thy spirit wants to speak to us. And so now, Father, we just want to make our hearts open and ready for thee and pray that thou would come and speak to us plainly now. In Jesus' name, amen. Words opened here in Mark, the Gospel of Mark. Turned out, I don't know how many times there. I opened and I opened and I opened and finally made it to the New Testament there. I was. But I have here. Mark, we'll read here from Mark chapter 8, maybe into 9. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Mark 8, verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. You know, we look at suffering different than God looks at suffering. <clears throat> we look at suffering and typically we try to avoid it like the plague. We, we look at suffering and we'll go to great lengths to avoid suffering, won't we? If we know that there's a path that would be comfortable and there's a path that is going to be painful... And if we have an option, we, we don't hardly even need to pray about it, do we? We know what path that we're going to take. But God looks at suffering different. There's so many men today that want the anointing of God upon their lives, but they're not willing to pay the price of what it actually takes to receive that anointing. They want the power of God, but they don't want the path that leads to it. They want the anointing of God, but they don't want to go through what it takes so that he can actually use them in that capacity. As I said in my prayer... There's so many that want to know God, they want to hear from God, they want to be close to God, and they think that that can be obtained by maybe cheap, generic ways. They think that maybe it can be obtained by, um, if they're nice for a little bit, if they're good for a little bit, that maybe somehow or another God's going to let them into his presence and show them a thing or two so they can have a power upon them, they'd have a message to bring. And that they'd be able to say something special or nice or cute or that would make people feel good. And everybody wants to get close to God that way. But as I mentioned in the prayer, God dwells in the thick darkness, it says. God dwells in the thick darkness. In order to penetrate through that darkness and get into the presence of God, there, there must be suffering. God sees suffering different than you and I do. We avoid it, and God says it's the only way to him. God doesn't bring him to himself. God doesn't draw him to himself except through sufferings. And it's not until we go through those sufferings that we like Job. I've, I've said this verse many times. I'm going to say it again. Where Job 
says, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. I've quoted that verse many times. I'll quote it again. I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. And you see, we all want to come close to God. We all wonder why we can't get into the presence of God at times. Many do. Many wonder why they don't feel God. Many wonder why they can't get into his presence. And the answer is very, very simple. It's very, very... Uh, it's because they don't fully intend to. There's something other in their heart that stands between them and God as an idol because they're not willing to fully let it go. They're not willing to fully cast it away. And there it stands as an idol between them and God. And God will never, you will not get into the presence of God so long as there is that thing that we hold on to. Be it ever so cute, be it ever so justifiable, whatever it might be. It can be that little boy right there that you're holding. It can be that little girl. It can be that precious little thing that, that is the hardest thing in the world for us to let go. It's the very thing that God comes and puts his finger on and says, that is what I want. And it's when we say no, that the wickedness of our heart is revealed. That God who deserves all things and will not accept us until we give all things, surfaces our hearts and it brings that to the forefront. We realize God sees suffering different than we see it. God did not come to Job, as I've said many times before, but I'm reminded of it again. God sees suffering different than we do. God came to Job, and he did not say after he took his family away, after he took his livestock away, after he took his servants away, after he took his land away, after he took it all away, God did not come to Job and say, Job, now... I have something I need to share with you. I'm very, very sorry, Job, that I took that all away. I'm very, very sorry, Job, that you lost your home, that you lost your family, that you lost your land, that you lost your business, that you lost everything that was dear to you. I'm sorry, Job, that you lost your health, you lost your comfort, you were in pain. Job, I'm sorry. God didn't come and do that because God sees suffering different. God knew that was the very instrument, the very way. Those were the very bands that he wrapped around Job and drew Job to himself. And God would not apologize for that. And there's very few who love God with a heart that way, really. There's just very few that love God to that degree and that purpose in their heart that they will lay it all down and that they'll allow God to take them into that thick darkness and to pierce through that darkness and enter into his presence. Some of you know what the struggle of that is. Some of you are fighting and struggling and wrestling and, and, and diligently, I believe, trying. And it's a hard, that's a hard battle. You search yourself and you say, Lord, I think so. I think so. 
I think I'm trying to. That's a hard battle to have to wrestle through and come to that place of full release, that place of full peace, that place where God comes and the battle is decisive and it's won. And we sing that song, it comes to my mind. He gives us peace and release. Sweet rest after battle cease. Some of you are probably struggling with that. Some of you feel and know that God is putting his finger on something there that has taken the place, maybe even, God forbid, of an idol. Something that's very difficult for you to let go of. Knowing that it might very well be something that God requires. But if I can encourage... If you want God's anointing upon your life, if you want God's blessing upon your life, if you really want God's power, if you actually want to be Christian, there's no other way around it to let it go until that peace and that release. Until that comes. And if you have not experienced that peace and that release, After battles cease, you're not there yet. And we wouldn't want to fool ourselves. We wouldn't want to fool ourselves. It'd be easy to fool ourselves. It's easy to think that we let go of a thing, only to find out a short time later that it actually has as much of a grip on our heart as it ever has had. That's hard. But Job was schooled here in the school of suffering, in the school of that dark presence of God. He was schooled in such a way that when he was brought through it, his testimony was, I I used to hear of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. And if I can say it so plain, that's where a number of you are at here. You have heard of God. You hear about him from Sunday to Sunday, but if I can be so bold as to say it and so plain to say it, the testimony is you have not yet been in his presence. I hope that we have a longing for that. I hope we have a burden for that. I hope we have a great, great desire. Those that have been in the presence of God sometimes have no words to say. I hope that can touch our heart. Head knowledge does not mean we've been in the presence of God. Knowing this Bible through and through does not mean we've been in the presence of God. Memorizing scriptures and knowing verses and chapters and where it says it and how it says it does not mean that we've been in the presence of God. 
Nothing can replace that experience, and nothing can give us that experience apart from complete and full surrender. Everything else is cheap. Everything else is generic. Nothing else will do. And it leaves men, not anointed, speaking, teaching, but without the anointing power of God upon their message. And it falls flat. It's words that are empty. It's tinny, and it's brassy, and it's sound. And what we need, if we're to fulfill the calling that we heard of this morning, we need men fully filled with the Spirit of God, anointed and inspired if we are to go about this business. There's no way around it. You try pulling something down not anointed by God, and I can guarantee you, you will be devoured. You're not big enough to handle the persecution and the suffering that will come. If you're so bold as to reach out your hand and try to tear something down of the devil apart from the anointing of God, you'll be utterly consumed. You won't make it. As soon as that slander comes, as soon as that persecution comes, as soon as opposition comes, you will flee like a little girl. If you want to put your hands to the work of God, then you need the anointing of God upon your life, and there's no kids' play for that. There's no, there's no substitute for that. You either come and dwell in the presence of God, or you'll be sucked up and dried up, and you'll be dead. The devil will laugh at you, kind of like those men that came, and they say, we adjure thee by Jesus, who Paul preacheth. Come out of this man. Those devils looked at him and said, we, we know who Paul is. We know who Christ is, but who are you? They try to tear something down there. And those seven poor boys realized they made a big mistake real quick. As the devils they tried to rip out of that man came crashing down on them and tore them and bruised them, and they left that house fled, naked, bleeding. It'll be no different for you. Don't think that you have any power apart from the anointing of God, because you don't. And don't think that you'll receive any anointing from God unless you've come into his presence. And don't think that you'll come into his presence apart from suffering. It's the same words that Jesus said here, Mark chapter 8. When he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. God looks at suffering different. God looks at suffering different. If you want to be a Christian, then you must deny yourself, and you must pick up your cross, and you must follow in those bloody footprints of the Lord. There's only one purpose for a cross, and that's for you to die on it. There's only one purpose for a cross. There was nothing pleasurable in it. There was nothing self-gratifying in it. There was nothing exciting about it. It was bloody. It was cruel. It was painful. It was miserable. It meant death. And apart from it, we can't be Christian. And apart from being Christian, we have no impact on this world. Apart from being Christ-like, we have no hope. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall, find, shall save it. 
Sorry if you'll bear with me here a moment why. I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to find it. I wanted to find it and I wanted to read it. But in the, one of the other Gospels, the Lord says it just a little bit different. He says, if you, if you aren't willing to do these things, I'm paraphrasing, if you aren't willing to deny yourself and to take up your cross, if you're going to try to save your life, he says, uh, just a little different, he says, you cannot be my disciple. You see, we start thinking we're doing pretty good when we look at the list of things and we've, we've, we've made headway on it. And I know I preach this a lot. God helping me, I'd want to continue to always preach this because I believe it's the true message that brings life. And there's very few that are willing to, to do it. There's very, it. It separates between the sheep and the goats. But you see, there's so many people today, they think that because they've given up nine out of ten things that now they're Christian. And God doesn't say that. The Son of God, the Son of Man says, except you give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. And there's no compromise there's no alternative to that. If there are things that we are holding on to, then the reality is, is that God does not have full possession of my life and my heart for whom he died, for whom he sent his son to die for. He does not have full possession of me, and he is not ever going to be satisfied with that. The death of his son... His son coming here below, the life that he lived, the things that he suffered, he is worthy to receive everything, every single thing. And nine out of ten things is still not good enough. And I appreciate the openness of the brother shared with us Friday night and shared with us again today that there, are, there, there is a thing there in his heart that he knows he's struggling with letting go of. I'd much rather have that than a hypocrite who acts like they have but hasn't. I'd much rather have that than the man who thinks he has, and everybody else knows that he hasn't. It's a stench. It's an offense. But I'm also not going to stop with that brother and say that that's good enough. And he knows that's not good enough. I need him to do that for me. be easy to look at each other and say, I think you're doing all right. I think you're doing well enough. I think it's, I think it's, you're almost there. No. This word stands sure. It speaks very clear to us. And the Lord himself has given us the cost. And he said to us that we ought to count the cost to see whether or not we are willing to pay it. He's very open and honest about it. He, he didn't, he didn't, it's not like these false gospels today that 
tell everybody. I mean, what a false gospel it really is that tells everybody today, just come, come, come and serve Jesus and your life will be so wonderful. Come and serve Jesus and you'll get everything you want. Come and serve Jesus and your business will do well. Come and serve Jesus and your family will grow and prosper. Come and serve Jesus and your marriage will improve. Come and serve Jesus and and you'll have a happy, happy life. It's a lie. Is it happy? Absolutely. Christ came and said, I am come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. But there's something that switches there. There's something that switches whenever we start to see suffering as God sees suffering. Life really does become abundant. Life really does become abundant. When we start seeing and having the mind of Christ and realizing that God draws us in his love and draws us in these ways. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I'm just going to say it. And I'll just say it as plain as I can. That way we don't, we don't get confused about it. Some of us are working too much at the cost possibly of our soul. I'm going to say it even a little plainer than that. Some of us are working too much and it will cost us our souls. I'm not against work. I'm not against what God wants us to do. I'm not against whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. But some of us sitting here in this room, if I don't loose myself of this burden, I might bear the responsibility of some of that blood on my own hands. And I don't want that. Some of us are working too much, and it's going to cost us our souls. If something doesn't change, if something doesn't get altered, if we don't get more serious about the work that's in front of us for the kingdom of God, we're not going to make it. It's not like a snare that comes around a man and grabs, and we start kicking and wondering, what can we do? But if something doesn't change, as I shared with a young man this week, if something doesn't change, then nothing changes. And sometimes that snare comes around a neck, and we've built up empires and we've built up things and it catches us and snares us and we don't know how to get out of it now. You know how you're, the only way you're going to get out of that? Whatever that snare is, is to say, oh God, I give it wholly unto you, but then expect him to take it. For your own soul's good, he'll take it. And if you don't mean it, you better not say it because... God is not mocked. Those are serious words, aren't they? And they hit hard down deep there. God's word comes as a hammer at times. We need that hammer on the hardness of our hearts at times. Because we're talking about eternity. This isn't kids' play. And what the brother shared this morning, I give a hearty amen to but we better not mess around with it. We won't make it. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels.
How many opportunities are being missed? How many opportunities are, are not being taken? There's souls that are dying. There's souls that are, have no idea about this word. There's souls that are going to, if they would take their last breath, and they will, they're going to find themselves in eternal damnation and judgment. Why don't we tell them about that? Why don't we say something? Why do we stand behind these pulpits and make it just a little easier for us all? Isn't it because we're worried about what other men are going to say about us and what other men are going to think about us, and we're thinking, I don't know that I really want to go through that. And we're ashamed of him. Maybe it's a woman and how she dresses. And she'd like to fit in just a little bit better when she goes out to town. She's embarrassed about whatever it is. Maybe it's when we go to the, say our prayers. I don't know. How many times have you been tempted that way? Are we ashamed of the Lord? And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Who do you think that was there? These men that had followed the Lord, these men that were walking with him, they were hearing these glorious words about the kingdom of God. They were hearing him expound upon it. They were learning the language, so to speak. They were hearing the parables, and they were hearing Jesus' explanation, and, saying, and they were saying, Lord, why, why do you speak in parables? And they said, well, it's given to you to understand, but to them it's not. And here they were, and they were hearing this, and they were receiving this, and they were seeing this great King of kings and Lord of lords. And they were observing him. And they were hearing these wonderful words. And they were with the crowd, so to speak. They were with that in-group, so to speak. They were part of the church, so to speak. They were members here following Jesus. They were part of the club of disciples. And here they were. And they, like Peter, they said, Lord, we've given up everything. Lo, Lord, we've left all. And they were part of that group. And what a a blow that this must have been whenever he looks at them and says, I'm telling you something. I'm telling you something. There are some of you that are standing here, hearing these words, seeing me live. You're watching the miracles. You're doing all these things. You, you, you're one of the disciples, and I'm telling you that you are not going to taste of death until the kingdom of God come with power. You think that's a thunderbolt? You think that's a shock? You mean to say, Lord, you mean to say that this kingdom of God could come and all of a sudden I realize I'm out? You mean to say that I thought I was dead? thought I had died. I thought I was serving you. But I think that's what he's saying here. I think he's saying, listen, 
Some of you think you're okay. Some of you think you're in. Some of you think you're going to make it. Some of you think you're in life. Some of you think that when you die, you're going to go to heaven when you die. Some of you think you're serving me. Some of you think you're understanding this message. Some of you think that you're following in this kingdom. And I'm telling you, when the kingdom of God comes, you're going to realize for the first time, you're going to taste of death. And it's going to be too late. And you're dead. Ten virgins. Five made it. Five didn't. Another group, five talents given, two talents given, one talent given. Two made it, one didn't. There's that tree, cut it down, it's fruitless. doesn't say what happened there. And so much of all of this hinges on this death. So much of all of this hinges on this death of self that says, Lord, I die. I die. There's only one reason, a couple reasons, one reason. Well, we don't get traction and growth, and it comes down to that, that we just don't let it go. It's hard to do. Extremely hard message. Those are heavy words. Those are heavy thoughts. I'd like that to sink down into our hearts, but not before I close with, I'll say this again. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. It might seem cruel if I ended that message there without giving that glorious hope of why it's worth it. I can tell you, I can testify, I can absolutely assure you that to lay down everything and to be able to dwell there in the presence of God and to be able to look upon him and hear those things uttered and to feel his anointing come down upon us and and empower us and the anointing within us and to have those living waters flow from without us, that's glorious. To be in the communion with God, to be in communion with His Son, to be in communion with the Holy Ghost, it's worth it. It's worth it. And I hope we can encourage each other You've heard of the patience of Job, it says there. You've heard of the patience of Job. You've seen how the Lord is piteous towards them that call upon him. And sometimes it seems crushing and, and, and deadly and cruel. But remember the last end of Job. Remember the last end of Job. Did it cost Job everything? Yes, it did. But the latter end of Job, 
So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. He also had seven sons and three daughters. It goes down, it says, In all the land there were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this lived Job 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. I'll just end at that.